and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Going to be mentioning Al Horford and his breakout with the Boston Celtics during the postseason. Going to be talking about Seeds of Greenwood, a new film by OKC Thunder Films, what we saw from the trailer and when the film will officially be launched and we'll be wrapping it up talking about both the G League Elite Camp and the NBA Draft Combine. Both rosters were released yesterday so I'll be kind of picking apart that a little bit and giving my thoughts on both of the events. And to top it all off I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out, guys, with Al Horford. We kind of know the story with Big Al. You know, Thunder picked him up basically as like a rehab project. The first one had been Chris Paul after you offloaded Westbrook, got CP3, and basically two first-round picks. Chris Paul did amazing for the Thunder. Damn near led him to the second round of the playoffs. Just a fingertip away from them maybe going there because Lou Dort's left wing triple could have been right on the money had Harden not swatted that thing but he looked great and then you obviously you know traded him off got a couple different pieces and then you had the trade to tack on Al Horford and that initial deal ended up coming during the offseason there OKC got Horford the 34th pick which was Teo Maladone and then Vasily Micic, who I don't expect to come back. Um, there still might be conversations again on if he makes the jump to the NBA. But for the purposes of this, I don't think he's going to return. So they got Horford. They got Teo as the you know building piece. But they also got a 2025 first round pick. It does have slight protections on it, but it's not that bad relative to some of the other ones we've seen. So... Basically, you got a free first rounder and Teo to take on Horford's contract. Sent out Terrence Ferguson, Danny Green, and Vincent Poirier. Poirier never played for the team. Ferguson wasn't really fitting the mold anymore. And then Danny Green, you know, that is a useful veteran. We'll just call it how it is. Anyways, yeah, Horford did a hell of a job in Oklahoma City. And that kind of set the, the door open to trade him over to Boston. You know, as we saw during the summer, Horford went to Boston. You saw Moses Brown leave as well. And you got Kemba, the 16th pick, and then a 2025 second round pick. But, you know, with that, Boston, they still had a pretty big contract in Horford. Now, Kemba's was kind of in the same exact area. OKC couldn't find a trade partner for him, so they just bought him out before he got in a training camp, probably because of like the rotational crunch it would make. I don't really think you could have Kemba, SGA, after we saw what happened in the draft, like Giddy, man, no way all those people will be able to, you know, get their cuts. And that's not even including guys like Ty Jerome and Teo, who prior to last season had pretty big roles on the team. So he gets bought out, but Horford, he really has not lost a step. Now he's 35 years old, but this year he's still been a pretty consistent piece for the Celtics averaged 10.2 points and 7.7 rebounds for them during the regular season but he's really had the uptick in the postseason he's averaged 15.9 points 
and 9.4 rebounds for the Celtics. Big part here, though, he's shooting 56.5% in all and 53.5% from distance. That is big time. And the big time games started rolling in in a pretty timely fashion. The Celtics have kind of been down a little bit in terms of injuries. Now, it's not as bad as some other teams. John Morant could be done for the postseason, even if the Grizzlies advance. Uh, And then you have some other guys as well who have been battling with some injuries. The Celtics kind of have the big one in Robert Williams, but he's going to traditionally play good minutes at that center spot. Now, you have to look towards Horford big time against a team in the Milwaukee Bucks that, you know, you need to respect. And he's done one hell of a job. First two games, he was kind of getting into the motions of it, averaged 11 and a half points there. But as soon as the tide shifted over to Milwaukee, he's just been dominant. Dropped 22 points in game three, and then he had 30 points in the game four victory on Monday. And I got to talk about Saturday's game. The Celtics, it would have been a big win for them. They were tied 1-1 going into the road. Kind of need to steal one of those to even things back up. Lost by two points there. But Horford with 22 points and 16 rebounds. That's ridiculous. You didn't see that production from Horford really with the Thunder. But also, you know, like he wasn't out there for 40 minutes. They pulled him after 26. And sometimes he'd already have about 18 to 20 points anyways. But he just looked spectacular in that department. And then he looked unstoppable on Monday. 30 points in the game, 11 of 14 from the floor, and 5 of 7 from distance. He went 6 of 6 in the fourth quarter for 16 points. And he was basically the driving force as to why they won that game. Ended up winning 116 to 108, giving them the 8-point victory in a tie series going back to Boston tonight. Just let you know, I mean, he is pretty damn legit. Horford's not going to wow you in a lot of categories. He's still pretty flat-footed for the most part. You're not going to see him like drive inside for dunks or anything, but he's kind of found his role, and he's been able to transition pretty well. You know, Horford kind of seemed like one of those dudes that would just, as time wore on, being more of like a Derek Favors almost. I don't know if that's the greatest comparison because Favors is 30. But just more of like a back-to-basket big and you would never see him pop at all. Now he's like a mid-range specialist. And during the playoffs, he's been Boston's best guy to go to from downtown. Adding that layer is significant if you're looking to make a push in the playoffs. You have him setting high ball screens for guys like Jason Tatum, Marcus Spart, Pritchard, Jalen Brown. It's going to lead to a lot for you. And if the Bucks are trying to match with Brooke Lopez, he's kind of in that same category too where he's able to shoot the three ball pretty up there in age. And he's kind of had to pivot his game from an inside perspective to an outside one. He's also not that, you know, quick on his feet. So it opens up so many different avenues and just one minor tweak and just one little change in your offense to having that center shooting threes can have such a big ripple effect. And we've seen it in some stints for the Thunder. I'm not going to compare what we've seen at a big scale because obviously, you know, the Thunder, 
a lot of times, especially to close the year, we're not playing in like crucial games. They're matching up against other second units, all this and that. But their pick and pop game was one of their better aspects of the season. You can dissect how a lot of the times the screen setter was never really contested from three. That's a defensive issue. You really can't fault the Thunder for them being wide open. That's just good basketball. But guys like Roby were shooting damn near 50% from three. JRE was getting open. He was shooting in the 30s from downtown. That's a big part of the offense. And I think just moving forward for the Thunder, they want to continue to build on that and just having the the ability to space the floor with guys like SGA and guys like Josh Giddy. And if they don't develop that three-point shot, one of the two, you're going to need to supplement that somehow. And that comes from the front court being able to shoot. So I think Horford, as amazing as he's been, it kind of shows you uh, the signs of where the league's going. You're looking to get those perimeter shooters. And because Horford has been doing such an excellent job, it's opened up so many different areas. And it's made Boston a pretty scary team. Swept the nets when it seemed like that would be basically the Eastern Conference Finals in round one. And they have a heavy task at hand. Giannis is someone that is basically unguardable. But when you have that extra punch from your center, it does add a lot to your team. And I think for Thunder fans, you're watching Horford, you know, you're saying, yeah, we've seen that at some points. He was pretty consistent when he was on the team. Never had a 30-point game, though. I was looking back in history to see, you know, when the last time he had a 30-point game was. He did it once in Philadelphia. Prior to that, it was 2016. KD was still on the Thunder when that happened. That would have been crazy to tweet out. I almost hit the send button because I actually didn't think he had one in 2019. Double-checked, found it out, made the stat a lot less cool, but, you know, it's there. You know, he doesn't have 30-point games too often, but when he's having 20, 25-point games, it really does open things up. So I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the Horford situation, kind of looking back on the trade that sent him to Boston and how it's affected both sides. And then I'm going to talk about Seeds of Greenwood and the Draft Combine. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a Same Game Parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN 
only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lots of round two action going on. Like I mentioned, it's going to be a pretty big game five for the Celtics. I don't really have a say like in who I want to win the finals. I know a lot of people enter the playoffs like with a set team in mind. And I even had uh, one of my friends make like a, a playoff bracket, almost like a March Madness bracket would be. You pick the game length, who advances. I've never done it before. And personally, I wouldn't enjoy it. I think with NBA playoffs, you're just supposed to take it all in and just enjoy you know, the greatness you're watching. I don't want to go into the playoffs and just root for one team. Like if someone has a crazy storyline going on, trying to think of maybe the ones I'd enjoy, like hell, let's say Dorian Finney-Smith keeps killing it and the Mavericks are just running through and they end up winning against the Suns. Western Conference Finals roll around. If I wanted the Warriors to win and that's where I had them on my bracket. I don't think I'm still rooting for the Warriors, you know? Like, I wouldn't be rooting against Finney Smith, Doncic. I'd just be appreciating it. And I think that's something that a lot of people also agree with, but that's just me, man. Anyways, there's a lot of really fun games on the line, and because you got these storylines, it's pretty unpredictable. Throw in a couple different stats, three-pointers made, points for a player. You do pretty good at DraftKings Sportsbook. But going back into the trade we saw, over the summer. Here's just the full details of it. So Boston, they got Horford and Moses Brown. Thunder got Kemba Walker, the number 16 pick, and that 2025 second round pick. Surface level just looks like a couple moving parts, but there's a lot more to it. I want to start by saying Moses Brown being dealt there basically was used, he was like an instrument almost to get this trade to work because they had to match, I think, salaries a little bit because you know, it wasn't a matter of 15 players on both sides. This was a two for one. I think it was because of the salary books. A lot of people were unhappy about it. A lot of people were like, he was putting up pointless stats. He's not good anyways. I'm in the camp of he was a solid project player. I I think that it would have been pretty wise to keep him on the team if they didn't have a, a sense of direction for him and they didn't think he was part of the future. I guess it makes a little bit more sense, but he had a hell of a season last year. You can't take it away from him. Whether you're talking he was in bad reps, they don't count in, like, whatever. He did a hell of a job. I think he would have been good to keep around as a rim runner, and the way the team was playing, I think his athleticism would have been a key part of this offense, actually. High ball screens being set at the top of the key. Use him as a guy you can throw lobs to. He didn't get a play with guys like SJ last year. I think it would have been great to kind of see him in action. Now, he had a lot of twists and turns this year. Got sent off to Dallas in order to make the Josh Richardson trade work, I believe. And then he got waived midseason by Dallas. Got picked up by the Cavs. Did a pretty good job as a starter. Uh, And then I think he was on a two-way deal. But yeah, like I still think he's a good prospect to have I don't know why people bashed him and I I I guess in the sense of bashing people thinking he's Kareem is one thing but I still think he is a good prospect to look at for the back end of your bench definitely a solid energy guy and at like 22 years old now yeah I'd love to keep him back on like a minimum scale contract 
Anyways, the real meat and bones, though, comes from what the Thunder get. 16th pick in the second, waived Kemba. So, basically just for that number 16 selection. That was Sangoon. I think if you just write Alperin Sangoon on that line, Thunder did a hell of a job. Sangoon's a great prospect for Houston. But obviously, they traded him away. And they traded him to the Rockets for two protected first-round picks. Protected Detroit first-rounder. This year, it didn't convey. Next year, 1-18, through 18, it's protected. In 2025, or excuse me, in 2024, it's also top 18 protected. 2025, top 13 protected. 2026, top 11. And in 2027, it's a top 9. So this thing could fall anywhere. There's so many years dictated by this. And it's actually interesting. I don't think that this holds value as the actual first round pick. I think it holds value because Detroit, they probably need to rearrange this uh, this trade because they're locked from 2023 till 2027. That's five years where they can't trade that first round pick because since it's still protected all these different years, there's going to be issues there. You have to somehow break that spell. And you saw it with like the Miami uh, trade, actually, where KZ Akpala got dealt and OKC got a little bit more uh, to the first round pick they had because the Heat had to shed their protections and that's how they get it done. You have to make it a little bit spicier in order to kind of open yourself up and be able to trade another pick. That could happen for Detroit. For the Wizards pick, it's a 2023 first, but it does have protections and it's going to continue to move on and on. Kind of the same deal as the Detroit one where I don't think it holds a lot of value at face level because you only get it unless they're a playoff contender. I don't think either the Pistons or the Wizards will be, at least in the near future. They're going to need some lottery luck, but yeah, I would have taken Sangoon personally. I think that the value at 16 was ridiculous to find him there. You still end up pretty well though, because Boston, they have a really good piece moving forward. And for the Thunder, they have two first round picks adding to a stash. And you could use that as some ammo for a larger trade in the near future. Want to talk about something else in the near future though, and that is Seeds of Greenwood. This is going to be a film made by OKC Thunder Films. They have made countless different like 20-minute films since I think the last five years. Last year's was promoted pretty heavily. It was Pause the Game uh, where they kind of did a a rewind and a deep dive onto the Thunder Jazz game where Gobert, he was touching the mic, Scott COVID, and the league kind of shut down from that point. You know, that game got postponed. Then you started to see other games get postponed. Mark Cuban was at a Mavs game when he heard the news they were suspending the season. Just that was the first domino, and that was big time. They did a really good job with that one, and this year, they have this one set out. Also should be pretty good. This will be at Scissortail Park. That's where it's going to debut in Oklahoma City. It's on Friday, June 10th, and it will be at the Dead Center Film Festival. That's where they've done it the last five years, and... The premiere will be Seeds of Greenwood, like I talked about. This is going to cover, from what it looks like, it's going to cover the Tulsa Race Massacre. Happened in 1921, where you had that white mob basically 
just tear down the Greenwood District. And that was like known as Black Wall Street. It was a very promising community. And this mob just got into town, basically destroyed uh, the district and, you know, uh, assaulted some of the people there as well. So, yeah, it was not a very good part of history. And they will be covering that uh, in this film. Also, they will be talking about the Thunder Fellows program. I mentioned this in yesterday's episode when I talked about potential candidates. The first one I had on my board was Cedric Igpo. He was the executive director of this program, and it looked like they did a very good job on it. So that's part of this documentary. They'll be kind of covering what the inaugural season of the program was and I believe some of the stuff that they did during the year. If you don't know what it is, it's a black youth program in Greenwood where they're giving students career opportunities in sports, entertainment, and technology, and they're doing a lot of it through like data and analytics. They had Wilson come by, I know, earlier in the year to show off like spin rates on footballs and like how quarterbacks use those metrics. Same goes for like coding. They coded like a robot. And then they also got to check out FC Tulsa, the soccer program uh, over in Tulsa, and just like what a traditional game day looks like for all the staffers there. So they got 24 students in the inaugural class. It looks like they interviewed some of the students throughout the the process of it and kind of how things went. And that's what we got to see in the two-minute trailer. So I'm going to be excited for it next month. In OKC, I probably will not be in attendance for it, but if you guys can't make that one, or maybe you live in like the Tulsa area, they're also going to be airing it in Tulsa. It will be at the Circle Cinema on Saturday, June 18th, and then the next day, it's going to be aired online, and then anybody will be able to access the film. Like I said, they always do a really good job kind of getting the details in on these stories, and the OKC Thunder films, like, as a whole, it's not like outsourcing a ton of people. It's a lot of people in-house that help craft these stories up, and they always end up being really, really good. So I'd make sure to check up on that. I'll get you guys the scoop or maybe any developments as they come through. But as of now, look towards next month for the release of this film. Moving on to something that's going to happen next week, though, I want to talk about the G League Elite Camp and the NBA Draft Combine. One of those sounds big time for most people. The Draft Combine, that's the one that everybody kind of puts all the noise to, puts their binoculars on, and as it should, you'll see the top 44 prospects, or excuse me, I believe it's the top 74 prospects involved in this one 76 there we go 76 will be at uh, the combine and that's where you kind of look at those first round prospects maybe see if anyone gets a draft promise if they pull out early and then you'll see some five on five scrimmages but you also have to look at the elite camp the elite camp was awesome last year and it wasn't given a ton of coverage to be honest with you it should have. There were a lot of gyms though. Aaron Wiggins came out of this camp. Jose Alvarado, Dwayne Washington Jr. And years prior, players like O'Shea Brissett caught their break here. 
And for 44 different players, they'll also get an opportunity. One of the best parts about this is the top players from this event are actually brought to the NBA Draft Combine. So scouts and executives will watch them go through normal drills, like shooting drills, vertical leap, all that. And then the two five-on-five games and select who gets to move on. Last year, four players got the nod. Wiggins was one of them, and it turned out well for him. This is kind of where those late second rounders to undrafted players catch their break and are able to get into that second round, get into the mid-second round in some cases. And there's a couple guys that should be worth noting. I'm going to be doing a deep dive on this next week as we get into lottery week and we get into these camps. Max Acemas will be back though. He was in one last year and he, he really wasn't doing all that hot. He was projected to go in the second round out of ORU after he had that crazy Sweet 16 run with them, but he couldn't make a bucket. So this is his shot at redemption. He's a junior now. Um, Lee out of Davidson, he's coined as one of the top sharpshooters out of this draft class. Six foot seven, can play the two or the three. Sharif O'Neal is going to be in attendance. He didn't even average three points for LSU this year, but he was dealing with injuries, and that's kind of been the story of his collegiate career to this point. Might be able to get a break there, uh, and then you just keep going down the list. I think those are the two that stuck out. Ryan Terrell, though, he's a D3 prospect out of Yeshiva. I saw on Instagram, he's called Jewish Jordan because uh, in the games, he wears his yarmulke, which is pretty cool, and he led a college, like at all levels, in scoring, so he's able to get hot quickly, I'm very excited that he threw, or that they threw him an opportunity, because that will be uh, definitely one of the bigger storylines, I'll have to do more uh, evaluation and such, like I mentioned, on these players, to kind of give you my top five on who to look out for, I know I did it last year, and I definitely want to do it this year as well, just one more though for the road, Jordan Hall out of St. Joseph's. He was seen as, I think, a second-round pick last year, actually. But he decided to return to college. This is going to be his second go-around. I think he was actually in the normal draft combine first go-around. So he'll need to make a standout. And Jamare Bouye out of San Francisco has been flying up on a lot of radars. Could see him sneak into the official draft combine. That's going to happen on Monday and Tuesday, though. Tuesday night, you get the draft lottery, and then on Wednesday, you pick up with the actual draft combine. This is where you're going to see ESPN just covering the crap out of this. I know last year uh, and, and years prior, too, they've actually had it like going on during the day. It's an all-day event, so obviously, they'll put this on live. This is where you get those big-time measurements, though. I'll be talking about Shaden Sharp later this week. He's a guy to look at because of his insane vertical leap and kind of the other skills he can possess. But this can really make or break some prospects. We saw last year Nashawn Bones Highland was kind of the darling from the draft combine. He was able to just hit anything he wanted to. He got hot early with a lot of step backs. He was able to slash inside as well for some layups. And because of it, he went from a mid-second rounder to... Someone who could have been viewed as a mid-first rounder. He ended up going in the back end of the first to the Nuggets. And on my big board, I think I actually had him like 18th or something. He was pretty high up there for me. So 
yeah, you're able to find some diamonds in the rough. As for your other top prospects, Chet will be in attendance. Shaden's going to be in attendance. A lot of this comes down to draft promises, though. And once you'll see those filter in, the list of five-on-five players will dwindle. We did not see Cade Cunningham last year partake in these. Same goes with Jalen Green. I'm going to assume off of draft promises. And if people are promised, I think by all means, if you think the money's good and you think the situation is well, don't play. Don't risk it. Don't lose out on that money and don't lose out on the opportunity you have been chasing. But I'm going to be talking about the elite camp in the draft combine as we wind down six days away from the draft lottery. Things will be heating up. And for a lot of people, the tankathon spins will keep rolling in. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.